0: Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is
1: Reality Check Radio with Peter Williams here on a Wednesday afternoon. Time to talk media now. And media has really been in the news recently because some media, in particular TVNZ and stuff, have taken literally hundreds of millions of dollars from the government to... Basically, put on air some government propaganda, and we, as the consumers of that, didn't really know that it was sponsored government propaganda. A man who is an independent media operator himself and a media commentator, media observer, and a man who proudly says he doesn't take any government money for his company, is a long-time colleague of mine. I worked with him at TVNZ many years ago, Chris Lynch. ...who then went on to be a successful talkback host on Newstalk ZB in Christchurch... ...before he said, the heck with that, I'm going to run my own media operation. Great to have you with us these days. Uh, Chris, firstly, tell us about how life is for you Uh, in 2023. You left the sinecure of Newstalk ZB, the big money you get for being a 9 to 12 talkback host. How come you walked away from that to go and run your own little operation...
2: G'day Peter, nice to speak with you. I guess because there was a real void in the local media landscape in Christchurch for up to the minute breaking sort of spot news that wasn't being covered by the metropolitan radio stations. And with News Newstalk's B's main operations being in Auckland, I always felt like uh, the consumer, the news consumer of Canterbury was missing out on some really important local issues, whether that be issues relating to, dare I say, earthquake insurance issues, council issues, and even just emergency news wasn't really being covered in the way that I thought it should be. So I made the decision to leave NZME and thankfully it's worked out really well and I've never looked back.
1: So when you are a talkback host, I mean, you get paid pretty well. There is a bit of security there. Did you worry about where the next meal might be, might be coming from as you went out into the big wide world to try and sell yourself?
2: I did because I did like the security of having full-time employment And I did enjoy the fact that it was a regular income. So, yes, of course, I was a little bit nervous, but I thought if I never made the jump, I probably would never make it. And so I don't... I guess the uncertainty of where the next um, paycheck comes from, uh, it overrides the need to work for a company where you can and sort of can't say uh, various things. So I'm really happy uh, being independent and I've got some great supporters across the Christchurch and South Island Media Landscape, some fantastic uh, advertisers, and I think it's safe to say I'm having a pretty good time. The only problem is, though, sometimes like today uh, in Christchurch, it's a beautiful day. And I don't feel like working, Peter. I feel like just doing nothing today.
1: (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) allowed because (laughs) you're your own boss, aren't you? So I'm intrigued when you say that you'd far rather be a reporter of news in Christchurch rather than having an opinion because after all, I thought those of us who have done Talkback Radio, the great joy about it was that you didn't have to necessarily stick to the facts. You could interpret the facts and be your own Uh, opinionator. So you'd prefer just to be the straight out reporter and journalist as opposed to offering opinions all the time.
2: Yeah, I don't miss as I was saying to you, Alfie. I don't miss being paid for having an opinion. Sometimes i will wake up and think, "What the hell am I going to moan about or talk about today?" But I've always had that kind of journalism backbone. That's you know that I even had with that News Talks Air For example, in the early years of News Talks Here uh, well, my career sort of. 2013 i suppose i did notice a void in the marketplace then for breaking and immediate news i mean we had so many different issues here in christchurch like the the port hills fires the, the Kokotta earthquake um sadly the moth shootings and so there was a real need to provide the audience with something else other than a 9 to 12 platform of uh, opinion and it, it, look it's happened very organically um, being you know, a journalist through and through, it uh, hasn't really felt like I've had to uh, trial that hard because I have genuinely enjoyed providing just sexual straight news and occasionally opinion, um, but more news on what's happening across Christchurch, Canterbury.
1: All right. Well, that's intriguing because I've, I've looked at your website. I see it's sponsored by the Weber Store, which I presume is the barbecue company, and by Cliffy's yeah. Flame Grill and Spa. Now, I've got you on here today because we want to talk about the influence that the government has had, particularly ICA, the Energy and Electricity Conservation Authority, the influence they have had on content which has appeared on TBNZ and on stuff. And it is content which is very much influenced by ICA, and they've paid for it, but it hasn't been acknowledged. You're an independent media operator. You say you take no government money, but you're taking money from the Weber store and from Cliffy's. Now, you can't criticise Cliffy's or the Weber store. Are they going to have any influence at all on what you say and report and how you say and report it?
2: No, absolutely not. I hope not anyway. um, It's always that fine balancing act between what you do in terms of the advertising dollars and what Brings in a source of income for me, uh, but thankfully, you know, you do your research beforehand. You make sure that the advertisers that you align yourself with uh, are decent people with a decent history uh, that sell a decent product. Um, I don't see the time. Well, I'll probably be be reporting on cliff- Cliffies unless there's a ram raid. There's always <laughs> there's always seems to be some kind of ram raid needing the poor buggers. But I guess the difference between the likes of having an advertiser. Um, with me and the likes of Television New Zealand having an advertiser, is that it's a government agency where TVNZ failed to declare it being one big propaganda documentary. And as I said in the article... Um, I was absolutely shocked that not only did TVNZ decide to create a one-hour uh, expose, if you like, on climate change using the journalists, and that's fine, they can do that, you know, that, that might sit well in a, in a Sunday programme, but the fact that that entire premise was a direct result of government influence, that's concerning, and that's never happened before as far as I'm aware in the media landscape, where you actively have a minister, in this case Megan Wood's, overseeing content creation that's one hour long for a TVNZ program that in a way pretends to be a documentary. And what it really was was a, in my view, a propaganda-related content machine on behalf of the government. And I think anybody who listens to this should be concerned about that because there always should be some kind of separation between journalism, journalists the government and government agencies. What about
1: the people involved, Chris? Because in a previous life, you are at TVNZ and you were a producer on the home show, the home show being the predecessor of Seven Sharp. Seven Sharp was involved in this racket as well with the uh, the Ica uh, promotion. So uh, as somebody who's been a producer for that 7 o'clock show, how would you feel if you're you're having this stuff foisted on you and say you've got to do it because the government's paying for it? I mean, do you have well, any I'm principles glad, at all?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I remember the days that... Um on that programme, and there would be absolutely no way in hell we would ever have any type of advertising at all during programme time. I mean, sure, at one stage, the programme, I think, was sponsored by Kia Motors, and that was fine, but that was always outside of programming time, although the programme in this case, Close Up, was sponsored by Kia, I think, at one stage, but you'd never have the host driving a Kia car, you'd never have the host acknowledging the sponsor, everything was done quite separately. In fact, when I was producing. Mark Sainsbury, he would be so reluctant even to talk to a so-called celebrity or superstar or author because he felt it was just an ad promoting or pushing their agenda whether it was a a CD in those days, a DVD or a concert we were always a bit reluctant to even go down that road of entertainment because it was seen as just nothing more than an ad for some big you know, overseas celebrity so even though I know TVNZ came back to me and they issued a statement, something along the Along the lines of saying, you know, we've been doing it for years with the likes of ASB Good as Gold, where I think a host might, uh, you know, surprise uh, a a good sort sort of, you know, person and say, congratulations, you won $1,000 from ASB Bank or what have you. But even that, when I've seen that in the past, that's even made me feel just a little bit uncomfortable because that goes down the road of – you know, commercialisation into a current affairs programme. And maybe it's just me. I mean, look, I don't doubt times are tough and this whole new world of trying to integrate commercial opportunities is a necessity in some ways, but I don't think it should ever influence content time during a programme, as some of my colleagues at TVNZ have said, that they thought the whole concept has been unorthodox. And it is. It's um, it's It's frightening.
1: What do you think the people who work on Seven Sharp and particularly on Breakfast? What do you really think that they are they are feeling deep down inside when they know what they had to do?
2: Well, I've spoken to some former colleagues who still work there. Um, the shows you you speak of, that they don't happen to work on those programs. But I would actually imagine those programs they probably don't mind as much, because, for example, the seven o'clock news and current affairs genre, if you like, has been taken over by the marketing department where now it's sort of, they try to be comedians in some respects so they probably feel they can get away with it better because they're, they're mixing a program that's entertainment as much as it is sort of light-hearted news um, so they probably feel it's actually okay I would imagine it's the same for, for the Breakfast Show as well, I mean it's light entertainment isn't it? It's hardly anything gripping and so it's, it's riddled in a way with content that's paid for, but you just have to be, there's nothing wrong with content being paid for, but you just have to be honest about it. My understanding is that the Breakfast Programme in particular just sort of said, we're interviewing such and such, here you go, giving it a feel that it was just a genuine interview. But these interviewees are hand picked by a government agency, and that changes the rules of engagement completely.
1: No doubt about that. And Megan Woods, of course, already has some blood on her hands in this respect because she, as the Minister of Housing, was also involved with some, uh, I suppose you'd call it um, advertorials, native advertising uh, in the Herald on Kyangor Aura on, on and on the subject of emergency housing. So this is something that yeah. this particular government has been doing on, I won't say on a regular basis, but it's certainly been happening a bit over the last few years. And that just undermines yeah. the whole thing about media trust, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it does. It doesn't, it doesn't bode well for uh, the media sector in New Zealand that has, you know, low trust already. Um, I've got to say, though, I do think the responsibility does come down more to the likes of Television New Zealand and the media organisations more so than the government. I mean, it wouldn't be all that hard for TVNZ to put on the top right-hand corner of its so-called climate documentary sponsored content by Ica. Um, for the duration of the program, because it was. They, I think they tried to get away with it by putting a wee, um, what do you call it, a, a pre-roll sting, if you like, at the top of the program saying, you know, proudly brought to you by such and such. But it's not the fact that Ica was proudly bringing you the, the, the sponsorship of the program. Ica and the government agency was essentially driving the content of the program. And they're two very different beasts. And, and also, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but seeing a couple of young breakfast journalists hosting this programme where it seemed very disingenuous and they were trying to save the planet and sitting there at that picnic table in Auckland somewhere talking about sea level rise, it still seemed a bit contrived. So I don't know if they did themselves any favours if they're trying to look like they're impartial journalists. Having said that, I don't doubt they may they may genuinely... Believe or be concerned about climate change—nothing wrong with that. But when you're being pushed by a government agency to promote a particular message, no matter how well-intended, it's um, it's gross.
1: Pretty big money, though. I mean, that package for TVNZ was worth what three hundred thousand dollars. I know TVNZ. Yeah, yeah. I know TVNZ has hundreds of millions of dollars of income, but three hundred thousand dollars is a deal frankly, not to be sneezed at, is it? So maybe they're under so much commercial pressure that they thought it was worthwhile.
2: Well, quite possibly. I mean, I understand that the marketing marketing departments of Television New Zealand tend to run... Uh, the building more so than the likes of the news organization when you and I were there, uh, it was very much, um, you know, your lineup producers of 6pm or or the senior producers or executive producers, they would decide on the content outright, that was it, nothing else. But now, I think those days have slipped away and we're seeing more and more creep of, of the marketing department making the decision as to what should go to air. Um Uh, Maybe I'm getting old, Peter, but I feel the likes of even TV1 now has just become another sort of TV2, but worse, everything's a reality television series, and it only seems to be about, I don't know, 10 years ago, you would never see a reality television series on TV1 at all, so having said that, I suppose audience changes, but... Actually, Peter, something else I thought was concerning that uh, Thomas Kramer, who uses obviously a a fake name on Twitter, revealed is that you had a staff journalist at one stage uh, going into or having a meeting with the prime minister's office um, talking about what content they should be providing for their online series, The Whole Truth, ironically sponsored by New Zealand On Air. That concerns me as well. Yeah, I mean, although stuff
1: although stuff's, stuff's defence of that is that it was not the prime minister's office, but rather the uh, yeah. de- the department of prime minister and cabinet, which of course, which inside the beltway, inside the beehive, there, you know, there, there's a definite delineation there. Uh, unfortunately, amongst there the greater public, there is not. There is the prime minister's office where there are political operatives working. The DPMC is supposed to be full. Of neutral public servants. I don't know whether or not necessarily that is the case. But you're right, it's still the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet as a civil service Mm organisation, public service organisation, which was suggesting content to a supposedly independent media organisation. Obviously, that independent Mm -hmm. media organisation is having its integrity compromised, isn't it?
2: Of course, I mean, I of course it is. I mean, when it comes to the DPNC, I mean, for many years they had an office based in Christchurch following the earthquakes. And at the end of the day, they were there to parrot the government line. There's no doubt about it. In this case, it was national. Actually, uh, they were there to parrot what national wanted. Um, so, I, although they're supposed to be apolitical, um, I, I think you find they probably weren't. I have no evidence to suggest that they were or weren't. But um, you know, my experience from Christchurch was they were very much a political force based on the, the government of the day, I think it was National and Labour, had a Prime Minister, you know, DPMC um, office here in Christchurch. I think it's now disestablished now um, because of the earthquakes and that sort of thing.
1: Well, all this stuff with ICA and Kainga uh and what you've referred to as the whole truth with DPMC, uh, this comes after the PIJF, the Public Interest Journalism Fund, the infamous fund of $55 million which was set up uh, in 2020, I believe, when the media really started to go down the hole because of COVID and the withdrawal of advertising, then uh, I mean, this government has got a history, hasn't it, of manipulating the news media big time? Because not only was that 55 million dollars being hold, uh, sorry, doled out with uh, with conditions, but there was monstrous advertising as well about getting the COVID uh, injection getting the COVID vaccination, but also about how you look after yourself with COVID. Now, can I ask you, as an independent media operator, did you take any of the government's money, either from the PIJF or through the COVID advertising during that period?
2: No, never. I'm actually quite glad I, I didn't, and it, particularly when I left News Talks. It came at a time when, I'm just trying to think, uh, I've been away at News Talks, been there for what three years. Came at a time when News Talks was probably ramping up its coverage of COVID-19, um, you know, vaccinations, and all that sort of stuff. I look back now and think. I feel lucky that I, I kind of I got out when I did, just even given the fact that, you know, you, I look back now and think of even the Herald that was doing its campaigns to get 90% vaccinated and all these sorts of things. And once again, I'd like to think, it, you know, they had genuine intentions. But it's always a dodgy line when you start to parrot government policy, no matter how well intended that health message is, you should always have some kind of separation. And I think perhaps, you know, there will be media companies now looking back and thinking, you know, did we do the right thing at the time? Um... And I would imagine there's probably a bit of self-reflection going on, but when it comes to that public journalism fund, without a doubt, I mean, that came with so many fish hooks, it's unbelievable. And anybody says, and anybody who tries to claim that they had no influence uh, based on the uh, conditions is, um, well, they're being disingenuous, really. It came with so many fish hooks. And uh, good to see it's gone, though. That's, no wonder you'll see some of the media organisations around New Zealand struggling now, because that government cash is gone, but... I suppose it'll come back in some other form, probably. Yeah, but
1: Shane Curry, who's, uh, as you know, writes this weekly column in the New Zealand Herald now, or herald.co.nz, about the media industry, he maintains that when he was the editor-in-chief of the Herald, or the editor-in-charge of the New Zealand Herald and its uh, sister publication, uh, The Herald on Sunday, he maintains that the money that NZME took, which was, what, about $8 million, had absolutely no influence on... On the way that they covered Treaty of Waitangi and racial, uh, sorry, race relations issues in this country, he would say that, though, wouldn't he, <laughs> because he would I, say
2: that. Yeah, I, he would, I saw. He would bit, say that. Well,
1: wasn't that the company that banned Michael Bassett from uh, having columns in the paper when Bassett was challenging modern-day interpretations of the Treaty of Waitangi?
2: Correct. Shane Curry was scared. And Shane Curry, like many middle managers at NZ dare I say it, um, you know, they are are scared of the dollar. They're scared of the advertising commitments they have. Um, He's just scared, frankly. And so for him to sort of say that it didn't influence their coverage is, in my view, I think probably stretching the truth um, in some respects.
1: Well, what about also, they turned down the advertising, didn't they, from that group Stand Up For Women who wanted to put ads in the paper uh, along the lines of the definition as as, um, coming from a dictionary of what uh, a woman is. And somehow Curry was the man who at the end of the day said, no, we're not going to take that ad because it's going to upset the trans community. I mean, that's extraordinary control from the editor. I thought in days gone by there there was a Chinese wall, a delineation between editorial and commercial. But um, that appears to have gone, Chris.
2: Yeah, I guess that just goes to show that the blurring of lines between editorial control and advertising has been blurred in the major um, companies across New Zealand. But also, once again, Shane Shane is probably being a bit um, risk-adverse by trying to make sure that he doesn't be seen or or the company's not seen to be entering the the, the latest social... Bandwagon. Uh, having said that, though, I, they probably did the reverse because if they put those silly ads in or whatever they wanted to put in, there would be no one moaning about it. It'd just be there, uh, you know, literally the fish and, fish and chip paper the next day. But the fact that they cancelled, uh, I think a few of the organisations cancelled that ad, didn't they? Uh, then that creates the story, doesn't it? So they probably it was probably counteractive to what they were trying to achieve, and that was to create no news about that ad.
1: Yeah, but the point is the media industry in New Zealand is in a deep, dark hole. You look at the annual financial results of the companies, yeah. the big companies, and they're all bad, aren't they? MediaWorks is still losing money despite selling its TV arm. Discovery, which has now got the TV arm, Warner Brothers Discovery, is still losing money. OK, NZME is a publicly listed company is profitable, TVNZ barely profitable, RNZ, well, it's all government funded anyway. Stuff we don't know because they're owned, I think, still by Sinead Boucher and there's been no financial statements ever published. I mean, the, the, the New Zealand media landscape is pretty sick when you look at it like that, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. But then again, they could always put more resources into journalism by cutting out some of the middle managers. And, and some of these organisations, I mean, the likes of stuff. you know, I, I know of people who work there, and they, they seem to be sort of growing a, a quite a hefty middle management structure there. There seems to be a manager for everything there now, but, you know, that's only speculation. Um, I don't know if I'd say that the media industry in New Zealand is, is sick, uh, sick in the head perhaps, <laughs> Um <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the advertisers are there. You know, they will always need advertising. It's it's in it's in what form, I suppose. I know the Herald is now trying to have more of a a presence. Uh, on their digital um, assets more so than print that's the latest thing i've actually read in curry's article so they just have to move with the times as fast and as quickly as possible i suppose i mean having said that you've got a couple of newspapers in the south island that tend to buck the trend the likes of the odt that seems to do uh okay and and the free newspaper here in christchurch uh, the christchurch star that seems to okay i mean it is free Um, i don't know if i'd call the industry in a sick position probably struggling
1: But gee, you you, you read your daily paper in Christchurch, the press, and that is an absolute shadow of its former self, isn't it? Okay, well, people don't buy papers, read papers anymore, and you get most of your news online. But when you do have a few minutes to spare at a cafe and you want to read the the morning press, um, it's all over and done with pretty quickly, isn't it? Because there's just nothing in it. It's so darn thin. It's embarrassing.
0: Oh,
2: I, well, maybe I'm going to be embarrassed here because I don't think I've picked up the press for, for many years, <laughs> the, the the hard version. I mean, I try. I read their stuff online, but they've gone for this kind of paywall model, which I'm not sure is is working for them all that well because they don't update their stories um, as they normally would throughout the day. Uh, Stuff.co.nz does, but um, I would imagine you've got some pretty unhappy uh, regional or local reporters because they don't update. They've gone for this weird model where they'll put a paywall over... Um, I think, the Dominion Post and the press, but they don't update their stories throughout the day. So it kind of makes a mockery of the online, you know, the, the, the need for speed, I suppose. I'm not quite sure what they're doing.
1: Yeah, well, the Otago well, Daily Times is independent, and they, Allied Press from Dunedin, own the, own the Star, don't they? Which used to be a daily, oh, but right, now it's yeah. a weekly giveaway. So, uh, I mean, Allied Press <laughs> seem to be <laughs> out there pounding the streets, getting the retail dollar, and... Maybe they're a very successful organisation because they're a bit smaller, a bit more local, and they concentrate on local news. I know, now living in Otago, reading the ODT, it is without doubt the best paper in the country. It's monstrously left-leaning, and it's got some crazy letters to the editor and some crazy left-leaning columns, which is frustrating a sec for an old righty like me. But it is still, <laughs> it is still very, very good regional news coverage, which is the kind of stuff that you enjoy so much, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I do. I really enjoy it. And there's one thing that I'm sort of loath to do is sort of any kind of content sharing agreement. Um, I I really like to be, I suppose my point of difference is, you know, hyper, uber local news, I suppose. But I'd never go down any kind of road where I know a lot of the the metros have. And that's this whole concept of content sharing agreement where you'll see uh, a Radio New Zealand story Um, slapped on News Hub. Um, I'm not sure if they do have a content agreement with Stuff anymore, but it used to be Stuff, And um, uh, I I think it's also the Herald. And I always thought that kind of concept was a bit bizarre because if you work for, I suppose, if you're a journalist and you work for a public institute, the last thing you want to see is your copy appearing on commercial entities. But it seems uh, there's a lot of content sharing going around now. I don't know if that's a healthy thing for a democracy, where you're hearing one voice but you think you're getting different interpretations of it because it happens to be slapped across, you know, three or four different commercial publications. I think that's a bit of a concern. Yeah,
1: and the major generator of that content sharing seems to be Radio New Zealand, doesn't it? RNZ, which is government-funded, 100% government-funded, and therefore doesn't seem to have the same resources issues as other media companies do. Uh, So that in itself could be a problem, isn't it?
2: Oh, of course, it is because you've got one voice representing you know three or four commercial entities, and that's not good for journalism. You do need many voices to present something, but if you've got one voice that's a you know state owned broadcaster, of course, that's that's a concern. Once again, though, it comes down to cost, doesn't it? Some of these media organizations, um, you know, they probably don't want to employ a journalist, so they'll just um, get their copy from RNZ.
1: So, how do you see the future of the media industry then? Is there going to be a shakedown? Is one of the big guys going to go out of business or fold into another one? Is it going to become more and more government dominated as time goes by? What about the influence of Facebook, Google and the like, which we haven't really discussed here at all? So, how do you see the future of the media industry, Chris?
2: Oh, it's a very big question, Peter. I would like to think that it will still, you know, that there, there will be still some form of journalism in New Zealand. The problem is, though, is that it is getting smaller. And what does concern me is that the likes of some of the television senior reporters that used to produce the likes of 2020 before it became tabloid and, and 60 Minutes, uh, we don't have those shows in New Zealand anymore. We don't have a nightly um an affairs program like we did with homes or close up anymore, we don't have those vehicles, which seems a great shame. Um, I think the industry will continue to contract, and I think probably one will fold. Um, but then I think to myself, well, we are a what's our population, 4.5 million? Do we really need you know four journalists turning up to report one court story? You know, I think there will be some downsizing, and what form, I don't know. Um, things go around in circles, though. When I, when I worked in radio for, what, 10 years, I saw things go round in circles. You know, they gutted basically the NZB office and it became an Auckland operation. And then when they realised that was the wrong thing to do, they quickly pumped in some more local content and local shows and it all went round in circles again. So I think things go round in circles. I don't think you're going to see, in my opinion, uh, more government funding. I think perhaps these organisations have learned their lesson that that was the wrong thing to do because if they want people to watch their programmes or read what they're writing, they need to make sure they feel trusted. And that trust has been battered and broken with the Public Journalism Fund, absolutely. So I don't think you're going to see more, um, uh, you know, government-funded journalism. And if you do, I don't think it's going to be well-received. But I think you'll see some contraction. Absolutely, you will.
1: So the the ICA scenario of the last few weeks might it well it was late last year wasn't it uh, when the Ica yeah. e- programs are on around the the cop conference in egypt there might after all be an upside it's it's extraordinary that it took a lawyer asking a few questions and then publishing on twitter for it to come to light but gee i'm so glad that it did so there may be there yeah. may be a good outcome for this and that it won't happen again you'd like to think
2: well i don't- I'd like to think so. I, mean, I think um, TVZ added one small line to Shane Curry in his publication suggesting we're always open to look at doing things differently, and I think that was an acknowledgement that they stuffed up actually. Um, I mean, this is, what we saw was nothing short of manipulation of news narratives. And I think TVNZ realises that if it wants to remain relevant, current and trusted, it simply can't do that. Um, So I think you'll see those days are gone. And if if a new government or a new administration comes to power come October, um, they'll be highly aware um, of the backlash that this has created, and they won't want to be doing that. Um, I mean, I know that Megan Wood said in, a, in one of her statements to Simeon Brown that she tried to sort of say that, while well, the national government at the time was spending far more in terms of its advertising dollars on, you know, winter heating home um, campaigns. And I, I don't doubt that. I mean, I'm sure that was the case. The difference there was those campaigns weren't probably inserted into what's supposed to be news and current affairs documentary series or breakfast or close-up. So that's quite a big difference.
1: Yeah, they were paid for spot uh, spot advertising. Chris, do you use Facebook mm. much to share your material?
2: Yeah, I do. I wish I didn't, Peter, because I feel like uh, my business model is too reliant on a platform I don't own. But I, I use – yeah, I do. I use Facebook as the platform – to share my content from my website and I'm just getting into the mode now of trying to make sure my website is fast enough and slick enough and looks nice and is presentable enough to try and be less reliant on Facebook.
1: Yeah, because I'm, <laughs> in, I'm intrigued by, you know, the various pieces of legislation that are proposed to try and make money for media organisations by getting Facebook to pay for it. I've looked at the, the way that stuff goes onto Facebook from the media companies and surely it's the readers putting it up there themselves isn't it and indeed sometimes even the editorial offices linking it straight to facebook it's so if facebook is not necessarily asking for it it's it's readers and it's the writers themselves posting it on facebook putting it out there knowing it has got a much wider audience through the facebook channel so that's why i'm intrigued right. as to as to why media organisations now expect Facebook to pay for something that basically everybody's been been giving to them for years.
2: Yeah, I don't think Facebook really gives two hoots about um, New Zealand, to be honest. I mean, having said that, I know that the didn't the Australian government at one stage they they were sick of Facebook making too much money off its so-called news organisations and Facebook gave them the middle finger and closed all the news operations down that were via its Facebook page, uh, Facebook pages rather, so that they prevented any news organisation from posting their content online. I suspect if Facebook wanted to, they could do that tomorrow um what i do know it's interesting though is elon musk's twitter which is now called what x he's now encouraging news organizations to post all of their content directly onto his platform um, to try and compete with facebook which is an interesting concept the problem there is there's no way that news organizations can make money if they're just posting their content to another platform, whether at least with Facebook there, they can sort of see the insights and where it's going and how it's making money. And it's more of a, they, they use it more of, like I do, as a platform for people to be aware of the stories. But with, um, with Twitter, now known as X, they're doing it differently. They're, they're almost trying to shut down um, hyperlinks and URLs so that if you post your story on Twitter, it won't get promoted because he wants you now Elon wants all of us to be posting our content straight onto Twitter so it's an interesting space it's an interesting time to be a broadcaster to be a journalist and try and understand all these all these platforms and I don't really understand many of them
1: <laughs> so you're doing it the old fashioned way you're creating content and then you're going out knocking on the doors business doors saying hey i've got a really good product why don't you have yourself associated with it and you can pay me a bit of money for it is that is that pretty, that's the way yeah, that pretty. radio stations and tv stations used to operate in years gone by yeah. didn't they
2: yeah that's how I do it, and it's as I was saying to you off here. It's always a fine balancing it between how much time I spend writing news uh, versus how much time I spend at the local, you know, Christchurch restaurant filming something, uh, versus how much time I spend going out into the community and filming the local Filipino festival or what have you. But I kind of enjoy it because it's um, you know, it sounds cheesy, but it's it's different every day. It just depends on my motivation levels and how much I want to work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very lucky. You can have uh, varying levels of motivation. <laughs> (laughs) and then decide how much you do want to work because, you know, people who work for a living for a salary, they have to go and work regardless of their motivation levels, don't they? Well, they're supposed to. wouldn't
2: that be awful? Oh, dear, as I was saying to you before, I I just don't miss having to wake up and think about what I I need to talk about. I just don't miss it. I miss the audience, though, and I think you probably would too when you work in Talkback Radio, uh, kind of a bit of a wider fan understand the audience and what they like and what they don't like and um, the regular callers and you know I I look back at my time at news talks it'd be very fondly having made some very genuine on-air friendships with people because I would never claim to know it all because I don't and it was always nice when you get an earlier or an older caller rather telling me their thoughts on how I should do things or 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 what I should cook or what I should buy and you know I, I miss that interaction with them greatly.
1: Do you think you'll ever go back to daily radio, daily television, or are you going to do it this way for the foreseeable future?
2: Uh, I'm more of a control freak now, Peter. I enjoy doing my own thing. I don't think I'd ever want to be under the thumb of a talentless middle manager telling me what to do, how to say it, uh, for their own egos to make them feel better about themselves. So I've long, and no, I don't think I ever will. What I've noticed, middle managers in radio, they tend to be sort of failed broadcasters, and so they use their egos on everybody else to make you feel bad. So I'm long gone of those days, that's for sure.
1: And you can become your own control freak, and you can employ people and start bossing them around, eh? Is is Chris Lynch Media, is it headed for the big time? Is it going to become a big player in the New Zealand media landscape?
2: No, I don't want it to be. I'm really happy. Um, I mean, you know, you can spread wings thinly with no resources or you can do a good job locally, and I intend to continue to cover the Christchurch and Canterbury market as well as I possibly can. In fact, uh, you know, my my journalist in some respects uh, is the audience, the audience provides me with tremendous tips, with tremendous um, news ideas and content. And I've built over the years, a, I'd like to think, a pretty trusted relationship with them. So I'm so grateful. I sort of feel like the journalists that run Chris Lynch Media is the audience. And that's a very fortunate position to be in.
1: Very good. Hey, great
2: talking to you, my friend. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for yeah, your you
2: too, Peter. observations about what
1: has happened in the last few months. The media scene is indeed a most intriguing one in this country. When you were in the industry, of course, you, uh, you were very close to it, sometimes a bit too close to it. But, gee, what has happened in the last few months is, I think, last few years is really quite disturbing, and one hopes that it's going to change its direction, really. Good talking with you, Chris.
0: You too, Peter. Take care. Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. The greatest threat to our democracy and our country is the belief that someone else will save it. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can help make that happen. Introducing the Foundation Members Club, the easiest way to support RCR and be rewarded for doing so. Receive exclusive benefits only for members, including your very own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind the scenes discussions and also our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, delivered to your email inbox every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members and see how you too can join the mission that's making a difference.